Welcome to the Health Disparities Podcast, sponsored by Movement is Life. My name is Dr. Mary O'Connor, Chair of Movement is Life and Director of the Center for Musculoskeletal Care at Yale School of Medicine and Yale New Haven Health. I am excited to moderate this podcast that will focus on how we can stay healthy physically and mentally during this terrible COVID-19 pandemic. By the way, we are creating and updating a guide to the best information links on the internet during this pandemic. It's called the Safe and Strong Guide, and it's a list of helpful links from trusted sources, some of which we will be talking about during today's podcast. It's very easy to get this guide. Just send a text to the number 474747 with the word podcast in the message. You'll get an automatic reply back with the link to our safe and strong guide. I'd like now to introduce you to our three panel members for today's podcast. Dr. Carla Harwell is the medical director of the Otis Moss Jr. Community and Health Center, which is in Cleveland, Ohio, and she also finds time to be an associate professor of medicine at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. She has also previously hosted uh, this podcast, and she's been an active contributor to Movement is Life, talking about the importance of staying physically active. Welcome back, Dr. Harwell. Hello, and thank you, Dr. O'Connor. You're most welcome, Dr. Harwell. Our next panel member is Dr. Lauren Powell, who's a board-certified family medicine physician in the Atlanta area. She's also known as the culinary doctor because of her passion for culinary medicine. You might have seen her on CBS, Fox, NBC, and ABC demonstrating her recipes, and we love her Facebook page where she frequently posts helpful videos. Welcome, Dr. Powell. Thanks so much for having me. And finally, Dr. Yashika Watkins is our public health expert. She's an associate professor of public health at Chicago State University, and she's someone who's a specialist in how we can help people make healthy changes. She's been with Movement is Life since we started and has helped create many of our programs. Thank you, Dr. O'Connor. Hello, everyone. So, panelists, this is such an important topic, staying healthy through this COVID-19 pandemic. I want to get right into questions with our panel. So, first, let's talk about the ways that we can stay healthy. And, of course, the most obvious way to stay healthy is to avoid catching the virus. We should all know the basics, but this is such an important topic that I'm asking Dr. Harwell to refresh us on these basics and give us any new advice on how we can avoid becoming sick. So we've all been watching TV. You know, we're hearing these terms, social distancing, um, let's wash our hands, um, isolation. And so what we have to remember here is that the way to get ahead of this virus spread is to first and foremost distance ourselves socially from one another unless it is absolutely necessary. 
that you be in close contact. And we really need to take this, I think, very seriously and even a little more seriously. Um, we're all watching the news. We see Dr. Fauci on TV who's leading us in um, how we think that this virus is going to be hitting its peak coming up. And so the way to slow this down, as you may keep hearing, is to, quote, unquote, get ahead and flatten the curve. So basically what that's saying is that we need to try to do what we can do to continue to, to slow the spread of the virus. And so it really, really is important that we practice what's now been termed this social distancing, which basically it's staying at least six feet from other individuals. If you have to go out and go to the grocery store or go to the pharmacy, you know, you want to make sure that as you're, you know, as you're standing in line, that, you know, you keep that social distance from the person in front of you. So that's key. Also, hand washing. You know, there was a mad rush, you know, to all these stores. Everyone was buying up all of the hand sanitizer, buying all the bleach, buying all the, the wipes, bleach wipes, and, and just such a panic to go out and get these things. Now, while it's important, you know, to have those things if you do, but, but the real thing here and the real way to really uh, slow the spread and to make sure that you, you know, aren't carrying around any, you know, contaminant on your skin is hand washing. You know, I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. And you also need to make sure that you wash for at least, you know, a minimum of, of 20 seconds. You know, don't don't just go in there, put a little soap on and, you know, rub around and put it up under the water and boom, I'm done. You know, you really need to do some, you know, take some time and do some really active, engaged washing of your hands. So that alone is is, will be a major contributor to making sure that you are decreasing your chances of, you know, spreading the virus, um, at least by, by that mechanism. So, again, social distancing and hand washing are two very, very important things right now. Dr. Harwell, I want to do a follow-up question with you, um, and this is really uh, focused on um, the sometimes the challenges of washing your hands so often and getting, you know, dry skin and your skin starting to get cracked and, and whether hand washing with cooler water or lukewarm water, which might be easier on your skin, is as, is as effective as if you're washing with warmer or hotter water. What are your thoughts about that? Does the temperature of the water that you're, that you're washing your hands with matter in terms of effectiveness for killing the virus? So, no, I, you know, I don't know of any evidence that shows that the temperature of the water makes a difference. What makes a difference is how long you're actually washing your hands and, you know, making sure that you're covering, you know, all your areas and then rinse it off. So, once again, you know, I, I want to reiterate that, you know, it's not enough to just, you know, you know, get your hands soapy and, you know, one, two seconds, three seconds later, you know, you're rinsing it off. You know, the key is to really, you know, lather, you know, lather your hands 
hands up, you know, keep keep the, the soap on, you know, for like I say, a minimum, a minimum of 20 seconds, minimum. That's bare minimum um, before you go to rinse off. So in terms of the temperature of the water, that's not as important as the fact that you are washing your hands long enough. What advice would you have for people in terms of social distancing if they have to take public transportation? Um, and maybe they're in a situation where they're trying to social distance, but those around them are not permitting them to. Is there uh, an indication for individuals to wear masks in that situation? Well, so currently, you know, there's there's a little bit of controversy about who should be wearing masks and who shouldn't. You know, keep in mind, you know, the nation, we are um, under a shortage of what's being called PPE, which is personal protective equipment, and that includes, you know, face masks, um, gowns, protective shoe covering, face shields, all those things that people who are first responders and healthcare professionals that are on the front line, we really need to make sure that we have enough of those items for those individuals. Now, yes, the general public, you know, does have access to some of these um, facial masks, and, you know, there's some controversy over whether or not that helps. Um, if you do have them and you do choose, you know, to wear that out in public, again, you have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, you're putting it on correctly. I've seen people in the grocery stores with the mask dangling down from one ear, or it's not even over their nose. It's, you know, the nose is exposed and it's just over their mouth. So if you have access to a face mask and you do choose to wear it out in public, um, then at least make sure that you're putting it on properly. If you find yourself in a situation where you can't socially distance yourself that recommended six feet, then other things that you can do, once again, you know, should you feel the need to cough, you know, again, make sure that you're coughing inside, you know, the crease of your elbow or down into your clothing. You know, you don't just want to cough and let any type of ear droplets just go out into the air. Um, try not to touch handrails and, you know, things as, you know, as much as possible. People are wearing gloves. You will see people out in public with gloves. Again, another caution about that is that if you don't know how to take the gloves off properly, then, you know, you're, it's fine while you have them on, but then when you go to take them off, you're exposing your hands to whatever external germs you may have picked up on the, um, on, on the glove, on the outside of the glove. So even after taking something like gloves off, you still want to immediately, if you can, go and wash your hands again. And lastly, I cannot reiterate enough for everyone to please take serious this need to social distance. I had a patient who told me that he was invited to a card party that he was going over one of his friends' house, and they were going to have a card party. You know, they did all this social, you know, isolation and all of this social distancing that, you know, five or six guys wanted to get together in the basement and have a card party. 
And so he, you know, he, he said to me, he said, you know, I mean, I, I know these people, you know, I know these guys and, you know, we're all, we're all clean, you know, we're all safe, you know, we're just going to be hanging out and, and, and that's what, you know, that's what we're going to do. And I said, well, first of all, I think it might be very hard to, be six feet apart from each other and play cards, right? I said, I don't know of a card table long enough for six guys to sit around and do that. I said, so, so there's the first problem. I said, and second of all, I said, what I think people aren't thinking about, this isn't a matter of you being, quote, unquote, clean or not clean or you, you knowing this person and just, you know, thinking, oh, you know, they, they, they don't have the virus. You have to also think about where these individuals are then leaving and going back to. Are they going back to a home where, let's say, their elderly parents live in the house? While you may think that what you did was okay for you, you're now potentially exposing other vulnerable individuals because of your actions. And that's what I don't think people understand. You know, this is bigger than just you. This is bigger than each individual. This has to be a concerted effort from all of us to try to keep everyone as virus-free as possible. And the only way to do that is to not just think about what your actions could potentially do to you, but what they could also do to other vulnerable individuals that's in your household. Well, Dr. Harwell, that's uh, very well said and uh, so important. I want to turn now to how we can make ourselves more resistant to the infection. Um, Obviously, social distancing, hand washing are probably the two most important things that we can do to prevent ourselves from being exposed to the virus or to kill the virus before it infects us. What about um, how we can potentially make our cells healthier, so to speak, so that if we are exposed to the virus, we won't get sick? And I'd like to ask Dr. Powell uh, to comment on this uh, because I think a lot of our listeners would be very interested in your thoughts on the role of nutrition and exercise and sleep, for example, in how we can stay more resistant to the virus. Um, yeah, that's super important, and I think it's important that we empower people to know that there is something that we can do um, with any viral illness. You always want to support the immune system um, and help it to be as strong as possible. One of the ways of doing that is to be mindful about the food that we're eating. So eating you know, whole food, plant-based foods in your diet, um, it's hard at this time because many of us are at home. It's easier to to do the snacking and, the, you know, the, the pizzas and the processed stuff. But really, you know, if, if you have access to it, this is the time that you want to put, you know, fruits and vegetables in your body, um, foods that are full of antioxidants and a wide variety of uh, nutrition profiles. So um, eat the broccoli, you know, when you make soup, make your soup at home and put fresh vegetables in it and, and freeze small portions of it. But we just want to make sure that we're putting good stuff in our body, Sleep is also a super important one. We want to make sure that we're getting at least seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, you guys all know that when we don't sleep, our cortisol levels are all crazy and it kind of compromises our immune system. So sleep is going to be critical. 
Um, getting off our devices 90 minutes before we go to sleep so that we're able to fall asleep easily. A lot of um, us, our children are not going to school and maybe we're working from home. And so we, we may not have like a schedule, um, but still making sure that we have adequate sleep, you know, still setting a bedtime, still getting up and not, you know, sleeping the day away. Those things are going to be important as well. Um, movement is super important. Um, I, you know, talk to my patients about this every day. Uh, we've been transitioning to telemedicine in my office. And so still making an effort to, you know, go for a walk outside, you know, maintaining social distance, but taking 20 minutes, um, getting your physical activity and not sitting around all day is important. So many um, apps and computer programs are doing home workouts for free. You can do stuff on YouTube for free. So just making sure that we get some kind of movement in every single day. And then the last thing I would mention would be um, stress. Um, stress is definitely not good for the immune system. And so with stress, we have to be mindful about how we start our day and how we end our day. And so for me, I know when I first wake up, the first thing I want to do is go to the CDC website and check the latest numbers. But that's probably not the best way to start your day, right? You should probably start your day, you know, start it with meditation or gratitude or prayer or whatever you choose. And that the day should end that way as well. Um, and I think those things are important for stress. And all of these, you know, all of these, like any viral illness, are going to be supportive to the immune system. And then for those who do have chronic medical conditions, um, I know we talked about, or, you know, there's been, you know, research about those with chronic medical conditions, you know, practicing extra care with those individuals. But we want to make sure those diseases are well controlled. So this is not the time, you know, to skip out on your medications or um, to not be monitoring your diabetes or your blood pressure and things like that. You still want to make sure that you're generally taking care of yourself. Dr. Powell, let's talk just a little bit more about vitamins. Are there some specific vitamins that would be more helpful to people in order to uh, promote their immune system or specifically make them more resistant uh, to a viral infection? In general, I always proceed with caution with this. I think, you know, most individuals should be taking a general multivitamin. Um, a lot of times I see people that are just taking maybe a, you know, a B complex or just a vitamin C, but I think what's important, all the vitamins and minerals are important. So I think it's important to be taking a general um, multivitamin. Our body actually absorbs vitamins and nutrients better from food. So, you know, when we talk about vitamin C, I'd rather my patients get into the habit of eating an orange or a tangerine or eating their vitamins and minerals rather than being focused on taking a tablet or a supplement. Um, I think we just have to be careful with our supplements because they are supplement or natural. I think people, um, you know, are more inclined to get things off the internet and we just have to be careful because those things can still interact with our other medications potentially. So I always advocate for a multivitamin. People in my office know I'm always going to check their vitamin D. Um, and so I want to make sure that they're on the, and you know, what your level is is going to determine how much replacement that you need. For those who are having, you know, viral-like symptoms, I generally recommend an EZC pack, um, which can be bought now on Amazon or at your local pharmacy over the counter. And that's just a high-dose immune support of echinacea, zinc, and vitamin C, and you take that over a five-day period. Um, and so that I usually recommend when people feel like they're coming down with something or for my mommies who have kids and their kids are kind of sick and you know it's coming for you, um, those are usually the main supplements that I'll recommend. Great. I would think in general, but would just uh, appreciate your comment, uh, that combination would be pretty safe for everyone. Very few other medications would be, would interfere with those. Correct. 
Dr. Powell, thank you uh, so much. I think that in particular, that advice on those nutritional supplements will be very uh, helpful to our listeners. And I just want to remind our listeners, please don't forget, you can receive a link to our Safe and Strong Guide by simply sending a text to 474747 with the word podcast in the message. I want to turn now to the topic of stress. I know we're all experiencing mental, emotional stress related to this pandemic. Our daily routines are shattered. Of course, we're concerned about our loved ones. Some of us, uh, probably most of us, feel some degree of financial stress. I, I honestly don't know one person who doesn't have some level of stress at this time, even my husband who normally has like no stress the opposite of me. <laughs> but So I want to ask Dr. Watkins for how she feels we can best address the mental stress that I sense so many of us are feeling right now. Thank you, Dr. O'Connor, for such a great question. The coronavirus can significantly impact uh, mental health for everyone, but especially um, is important for those who are suffering from mental illness. Uh, ways that it can impact um, mental health is through anxiety, obsessions, um, and loneliness. So people may have anxiety about contracting the disease as well as uh, social distancing, being isolated and feeling lonely as a result of social distancing. There was a poll that was taken uh, March 11th through the 15th, so just recently, uh, two weeks ago, by Kaiser Family Foundation. And they really asked people, what were your key worries related to coronavirus? And so some of the key worries that, that caused these people anxiety were um, them getting sick or someone else getting sick, um, things like investments, um, how would this impact their retirement um, savings, college savings for parents, loss of income due to um, um, being laid off or reduced hours, and also just um, not being able to afford if they did get sick, not be able to afford uh, testing or treatment. So uh, these were some of the main um, worries that people have that cause them anxiety as related to coronavirus. I mentioned obsessions. So Dr. Harwell talked about hand washing and the importance of hand washing. People that suffer from um, um, chronic obsessive disorders may um, do a lot of cleaning, sterilizing, and washing um, in excessive patterns. Um, they may do that in higher volumes in, in during this pandemic than what they used to do prior to the pandemic. I also mentioned loneliness. So what can you do um, as a result of feeling anxiety, um, for example, loneliness, um, if you're suffering from um, obsessive um, obsessions? So um, one of the big things is um, practicing acceptance. So we have to accept that we are in um, a pandemic, and we must trust our medical community that they are doing the best to address the situation. Also, um, there have been stories about how people have had panic attacks from watching the news. And, and um, uh, Dr. Powell mentioned first thing, getting up in the morning, checking the numbers of, of the virus across the country. So we want to um, limit our sources where we get information and limit the consumption. People have, like I mentioned, gotten panic attacks just from watching the news and realizing, oh, this is so close to home. It's in my backyard. I know personally living in the New York City area, I'm definitely 
have a heightened awareness as compared to someone who's not living in the New York City area due to the this area being the epicenter. But I've even had to taper my own emotions and realize that at the end of the day, we're in this together and we just have to address this the best way we can. A big thing, too, that I want um, to mention is coming up with this idea of coming up with the health disruption plan. So if you know you suffer from mental health, talk to your um, your healthcare providers, and it can be through telehealth. Talk to them about specific, um, specific um, things related to your health needs, to your mental health illness, and they can help you create a health disruption plan. Also, take care of yourself, engage in things. When I say take care of yourself, engage in things that are distractions for you. Yale University has an online course called The Science of Well-Being. Check that out. Um, learn about how you can take care of yourself. Watch movies. Watch. Um, my husband's been watching repeats of the NFL um, that he saved on the DVR NBA game. Um, my kids the same. They they've been watching um, different cartoons that we say for them because that brings in enjoyment. And last lastly, I would say, and the local media has done a great job of trying to push this principle, but the helper principle. So doing things, we get benefit from doing things for others. So if you know there's an elderly person that is isolated and can't get out and go to the grocery store an hour ahead of the time that the grocery store opens. A lot of stores have been opening an hour earlier for seniors to come shop. If you know this person has limited mobility and can't get out and, and run those errands, like going to the grocery store, do those errands for them. That'll actually bring you some benefit and help you as you try to um, deal with your own anxiety and other mental health issues during this pandemic. Wow, Dr. Watkins, that's so helpful. Do you have any specific advice for parents? Many of us now have um, children back at home with us that weren't with us previously, or we're all together now, whereas the parents had been out working at, you know, at their place of employment, but now they're working from home. And so while the family time, I think, is actually a a really incredible opportunity for us to reconnect in, in so many ways. Uh, I'm sure that it is also uh, stressful in other ways. Do you have any specific advice for parents uh, with younger children and then perhaps parents with adolescents and then parents with young adults who may be, you know, back home because their, their college has closed? So I am a parent myself. I have young children, and um, of my two kids, um, my my oldest is out of school, and I have now become his um, his teacher. Um, the school has sent us resources um, from SAMHSA. This is a federal agency. It's called the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and they actually have guides on how you can talk to kids about coronavirus. Um, particularly young kids, since my my um, my school age child is a young child, um, and the school provided us with that. And the one of the take home points that I've I, I um, implemented from the guide was being honest and talking at the level of the child. So we told my son, uh, my son is able to articulate uh, even at three years old. He says. Um, I know I'm not going to school because of the virus, and I know he'll he'll ask me um, quite frequently when am I going to see my teachers and my friends again, 
And then I'll say, well, you know when you're going to see them? And he says, well, when the virus goes away and everyone gets better. So even at the young tender age of three, they understand what's going on. So just be honest, talk at their level. If you have older kids, um, I was watching on NBC Nightly News, again, with older kids, being honest is really, really the best, um, best thing, best route to go. Um, talk to them, tell them what the updates are. Don't give them the gory details, of, of course, but um, the frightening details. But you want to be honest and let them know we are in a pandemic. These are the things you need to do to protect yourself. Um, college students, I have a friend who um, she has a 19-year-old who's home from college, and she came home and and she um, she she asked her husband, well, where's, where's so-and-so? And the husband says, oh, he just left with his friend. So she said she immediately got on the phone with her son and told her son, no, you come back immediately and don't bring any of your friends with you. And when he got back home, she explained really the importance of social distancing. And people don't understand that social distancing means you um, – you isolate yourself from people who do not live in your home, um, who are, are you don't you don't interact with every day. So going out with your friends, hanging out with your friends as a college student is is not social distancing. One more question related to children, and uh, this is from my own personal experience. I'm, as you know, an orthopedic surgeon, and I um, still go into the hospital to take care of patients. And I think, at least uh, in my household. For my children, especially my youngest, uh, who's a college student, there's an underlying fear that I'm going to get sick. So what would, and, and I reassure them that, of course, you know, I'm not going to get sick. I'm going to, I'll be fine. Um, but they're, you know, my, my, my children are smart and they know that I can say that, but I cannot guarantee them uh, that I'm not going to get sick because of my inherent exposure, uh, because of my work. So any other advice for the many of us uh, in healthcare that continue and, and first responders who continue to be out there kind of on the front lines with addressing the anxiety that our families may have? So what I've noticed a lot um, from, from things I've been experiencing and stories I've been hearing is that um, you have to drive home the message of of this idea of social responsibility. So staying healthy. Um, it is your social responsibility and personal responsibility to stay healthy. So if you do get the virus, you have um, you have a high chance of survival. Um, we've seen many. We've seen already many stories of people. Um, coming, um, surviving um, the coronavirus. Tom Hanks and his wife, Andy Cohen, um, is back on TV now, um, saying, "I'm a survivor of this." Even um, the the it was an attorney in Westchester County in New York. He um, some people say he started the virus in Westchester County, New York, in the New Rochelle area. He's out of the hospital now. But the, the, the key message here is social responsibility of being healthy, protecting yourself. And if you're healthy, even though you may get it, you will have a high chance of, of survival. Maybe you come out of it. Um, in terms of first responders and the healthcare workers, and even 
you know, people um, people have talked about this next group, and not I feel like they aren't getting as much attention as they should. Is the grocery store workers, the workers at Target, the people that are restocking our shelves? Um, they they are really on the they're on the front line as well. So know that um, for for your children and for anyone else who are are in families of people who are on the front line. Again, understanding that being healthy is is you know they themselves need to be healthy the children need to remain healthy they need to be socially responsible stay away from people who don't live in their homes because they can bring it home to you but you as the frontline person as well have to uh, remember you have to remain healthy um, mentally and physically so that you can fight it if you get it so again it's this idea that we must all be socially responsible um, so that if we are exposed to it we get Men, um, the mild and, and minimal symptoms as possible so that we have the highest rate of survival. Uh, panel, I am so enjoying uh, this podcast. I want to turn our attention now to spiritual health, and I want to discuss with the panel how you each feel about the importance of spirituality in this pandemic. And uh, I think we know that we we can't pray away the virus, uh, but yet spirituality uh, is an important aspect of uh, an important component of many people's lives. So, Dr. Harwa, I'd like to start with you, and um, I'd ask you to share your comments on uh, what you feel may be the importance of spiritual health uh, for individuals in this very difficult time. Religion and, and the church have always been staples in the black community. Um, as a whole, you know, we've always looked to the church for spiritual counseling and guidance and also to get us through very trying times such as uh, segregation and um, lots of other historical things that people of color have had to face in this nation. And once again, we find ourselves in a situation where we will look to the church for support and spiritual guidance. And I think that that's very important um, for our well-being as we try to maneuver our way through this pandemic. It's unfortunate that many states have stay-at-home orders in the sense that although we can't come together as a group, and worship. It doesn't mean that we cannot worship individually and collectively in the larger sense. So I'm sure you all out there are aware that many churches have gone to live streaming their services, um, either via Facebook or some other mechanism. I know that many churches have set up a uh, conference call number that people can call into and worship together all at once at the same time. Um, Bible study has been replaced again with either live streaming or a conference call um, that everyone can then, um, you know, be on the call all at the same time and still get that sense of collectiveness as, you know, we come together and, and look to each other for spiritual support. So I think, at least for sure, in the African-American community, I think that 
we are continuing to look to our church leaders for guidance and support and spiritual well-being as we try to maneuver our way through this pandemic. Dr. Harwell, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Powell, your, your thoughts on this topic? It's, it's definitely strong in the African-American community that we rely on our, on our faith. And many of us are, you know, looking to our religious leaders, which I think is great. African-Americans in general have heavily relied on our kind of religious leaders for guidance. And so um, I know at the church I attend, like I'm thankful to see them kind of following the guidelines recommended by the CDC and, um, you know, sticking with those recommendations about social distancing, but then also recognizing a role that faith plays. Like, this is not the time to fear. This is not the time to be unselfish, but this is the time for us to give and to help one another when we can, um, while still following the guidelines of, of those health organizations. So I've actually loved seeing all of the things that our community and our church leaders have done. I mean, in my office, I'm recommending, you know, to those who are without food um, and, and those who that's a concern because their kids are getting, you know, two of their meals at school. Many of our local churches are making food and things like that available for, for individuals. I know many churches are offering uh, virtual tutoring um, to help the students. And so um, I'm actually very proud of how the church has responded. Dr. Powell, that's uh, just a fantastic response. Dr. Watkins, you touched on this earlier, but I just want to see if you have some other thoughts about the importance of spirituality for all of us in this pandemic. Sure. I've thought about this two ways, one from a community perspective and then one from a professional, healthcare professional perspective. So I'll start with the community perspective. I did see uh, one of my uh, family members actually posted, I've been 90% socially distancing myself. Please don't punish me for the 10%. And that one picture just drew me in. And I said, I have to read what this, what this message is about. And as I started reading it, I understood it to be about how in the community, people have these notions that the coronavirus is God judging us for the way we've lived our lives. And I just, I found it just, just it was so awe-inspiring because I never even thought of this as, as, as a judgment, as God saying, you're not living in the right way. And so because you're not living in the right way, I've now cast this pandemic on society. I, I just thought it was interesting, and it, it brought me back to this idea that even though there's not a lot of empirical evidence around uh, religion and spirituality necessarily improving health outcomes, we do know that we have to view a patient as a um, biopsychosocial spiritual whole. So when I say that, what I mean is um, we have to talk to them about religious and spiritual factors and how they can impact decisions that patients make, compliance decisions, for example. Are people going to continue to engage in social distancing? One of the things that I do like that the church has been saying is, no, we aren't fearful as, as for example, as Christians, but we must live by the rules of our local state and federal government. And so if they're saying we need to social distance, that's what we need to do. We did see an example yesterday of a pastor in Florida who got arrested for holding services. 
um, despite the orders um, to shelter in place. Well, um, we do need to feed our feed our our, our souls, um, our spiritual souls. We still need to um, remember that God is not judging us. This is not something we can pray away. Um, this is something that we have to be in collaboration with God. I mentioned um, previously about Kenneth Pargament has three styles of religious coping: collaborative, self-directive, and deferring. So we can defer to God, we can self-direct ourselves or we can be a collaborator with God. And out of those three, we need to be a collaborator with God. We need to be, we can pray and ask God for healing. Um, but at the same time, we have a personal responsibility of doing the things we need to do to slow and um, blunt that curve as much as we can. Amen, sister. Um, I, I think those comments are so important for our audience to hear. Uh, I'll just, you know, my my personal comment is, I'm a very, um, I'm I'm a, a spiritual person, and I personally think that all healing comes from God. I know that there are individuals that see this pandemic as a way of God expressing displeasure with us. I don't actually know if if, if that's, <laughs> I don't think any of us know if that's true or not, but I think it does really, at least to me, bring home the message that um, God is the healer, and and um, praying to God for support and guidance is more important now than ever before. I think it's wonderful for us to have this kind of conversation about spirituality, and um, in my own practice, I, I, I simply will tell them that, you know, if they want to pray before we go back to the operating room because I am a surgeon, I'd be happy to pray with them. And it is amazing how many people say they would love to do that, and they never expect me to say that. And I just try to put it out there as an offering. They can say, no, thank you, and then they might be a little surprised. Uh, but it is amazing to me um, how many people welcome that. And I think the more that we acknowledge that, um, connection and that uh, need for divine healing and divine support, the, the better off we'll be and the faster we're going to get through this pandemic. Um, I, I want to turn and ask everyone on the panel to comment on what they might think are communities of color, both African-American and uh, Hispanic communities, could be doing uh, to help protect themselves uh, from this pandemic, because we know that these communities of color are even more vulnerable uh, to the virus for many reasons. There's lower baseline health, higher levels of illnesses from diseases like diabetes and hypertension, higher baseline levels of obesity, and we know that uh, diabetes is associated uh, with higher risk of, or at least we have early evidence that suggests that if you're diabetic, your risk of, of getting sick with COVID-19 is increased. Um, we know that communities of color often live in denser housing, which makes self-isolation all the more difficult. So I'm going to just ask everyone to comment on whether you have some specific advice for our communities of color. Dr. Powell, I'm going to uh, ask you first. You know, it's, it's really tough. I would say um, you know, the, hard, the hardest thing is that 
oftentimes minorities don't have access to care already. And so that makes it difficult. Um, I know in my office, we're still doing telemedicine and it doesn't matter if you're a new patient or an existing patient. Um, so I think reaching out to your local health providers who are still willing to have conversations with you and still, you know, I know we can't do a whole lot over the phone, but so much of a patient's care is, is history and just having having those conversations, talking about their health, talking about maybe what medications they used to take, talking about, you know, these things that we're, that we're talking about on the phone that, you know, many people have access to this regular information. So um, I think this whole pandemic has changed. I think we will forever um, think about food differently. I think we will forever think about our health differently. You know, I guess the biggest thing is just reaching out and to whatever resources you have. And I know that they're different for different communities, but um, like I said, I've loved seeing the camaraderie and the, the things that different community organizations and churches are doing to try to reach people. I've had people reach out to me on social media and I say, hey, do you have, you know, they're asking me specific questions. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is not kind of what this is for, but do you have a doctor? And they say, yeah. I'm like, well, you know, you can ask them these questions. So sometimes people, they don't even know that they can ask certain questions. And so I said, yeah, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to answer your questions. If you have concerns about you and your risk or your family members or things that you can be doing, like that's what we're here for. So um, I think the biggest message um, that I want all my, you know, all the minority patients to know is that we're here for them and, and reach out whatever it is, you know, whatever resources you have access to. um, And, and we'll try to help you through this. We're all kind of think learning and figuring things out as we go, but the biggest thing is knowing that they are supported. Thank you. Dr. Harwell, your thoughts. We all need to reach out to the resources that we have just amongst ourselves. Um, you know, I was telling my daughter who's um, away in Washington, D.C. At, at college, of course, it's virtual learning now, but, you know, she lives alone, you know, in, in her apartment, and, you know, she's gone from a state of, you know, going to classes every day and, and, and being around other people to basically isolated in her apartment with, you know, with this virtual learning. And so, you know, I said, well, you know, you've got so many social media outlets, you know, maybe, you know, have a, a, a FaceTime party, you know, one night where you can do a group FaceTime and you've got four, five, six of your friends and you're all, you know, video chatting together. You know, you can see them and, you know, somebody's playing some music, you know, get up and dance in front of your, you know, like, like a virtual party. You know, I think we have to come up with some creative ways, first of all, just to keep our sanity. You know, this is some real trying times mentally. And, um, you know, I think that the biggest thing that we can do is to just try to find ways, you know, creative ways to, um, you know, have some sort of social outlet. You know, we are at least at this point, unless this change, allowed to leave, you know, the house to, you know, to go to grocery stores, you know, to, to, to go to pharmacies, essential places, um, but also to just, you know, take a walk, you know, take a walk around your neighborhood. Of course, if it's, you know, more than two individuals, you know, just more than yourself, you know, still social distance, you know, but um, just to get out and, you know, get some fresh air. Um, I think that, you know, we just need to find 
something that that gives us some sort of of pleasure but i know it's it's hard especially when you you know live alone um or you know you're just so used to being able to go you know my elderly parents you know have been you know quarantined for probably a month now you know just by virtue of the fact that you know they already didn't go that many places but now they really have hankered down and have stayed in and so um you know, these are two individuals that went from, they didn't watch a whole lot of television, but they found a TV station that shows some old westerns. And now every time I call, you know, I say, what are you doing? Oh, I just got through watching this, you know, this old Gunsmoke episode, you know. And so, you know, you just got to find, you know, some passion. You know, maybe there's more time to read books, you know, if you were an avid reader, but just never had the time to do that. You know, just sort of reach and find some something that gives you joy. I think our mental health, I think, is, is what I'm most concerned about with just this um the social distancing and, and this, you know, sort of mandated um, isolation. So let's keep our minds strong as well as our bodies because I think that that's going to play a real key factor in just how people are able to continue to cope with this. Dr. Harwell, that is such excellent advice for all of us. Dr. Watkins, I'll ask you for the, the final comment on how uh, – you, you see our communities of color protecting themselves uh, because they are clearly at higher risk here in this pandemic. Our communities of color uh, experience the weathering effect, which is when um, everyday racism causes um, a stress response. And this response um, essentially presents itself through, for example, through high levels of diabetes, hypertension, for example. Um, our communities also experience differences in gene expression through epigenetics. So, for example, how structural racism and chronic stress can alter the way our genes are expressed. So our community of colors, our communities of color are vulnerable. And when you add the layer of the coronavirus pandemic on it, um, that's a, an additional, um, uh, additional uh, kind of form of structural racism. So um, it makes us sicker um, and more vulnerable to, um, to um, have higher uh, morbidity and mortality rates from coronavirus. But all is not lost. Um, we've seen Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, um, which the population around Elmhurst Hospital um, is um, a, a diverse population um, by race and ethnicity and has a lot of different health disparities. But um, it has now become the face uh, in terms of a hospital um, where a lot of resources are lacking. And because we've seen, for example, um, the, the trucks, the refrigerated trucks outside of the hospital where bodies are being placed because the morgue is, um, is filled to capacity, those images have created at the congressional level additional resources going to that neighborhood hospital. So we just have to get the word out about how in our communities we suffer from health disparities and how we need more resources as a result of the suffering. Dr. Watkins, um, thank you. Dr. Powell, I want to ask you a question about masks. So I know our listeners hear a lot about masks, and they hear about N95 masks and 
regular masks, surgical masks. And can you start by helping our listeners understand what are the differences in these masks? Right. So the surgical masks are, you know, kind of like the flimsy ones that um, are made of paper. Um, they don't fit very tightly. The top, the top um, of the mask has a um, kind of metal underneath, so it can kind of form to your to your face. Those are the masks that you see at the nail salons. Those are the ones that you see, you know, people use them when they're cleaning. And so those are the common surgical masks. The N95 is um, fitted, so it, it has to be fitted to the person wearing it, and it forms a tight seal around the face and nose. And so um, at this point currently, and I know the guidelines are literally changing um, by the day, but at this point, the recommendation is for people who have symptoms should be wearing them, right? So not necessarily every single person in the general public, but for those who are diagnosed, you, you should definitely be wearing a mask in order to prevent any spread of your respiratory droplets. But again, these recommendations change daily and it might be different by the time that this airs. In my office as a medical provider, I'm wearing an N95 mask with now with just every patient. I used to only wear them, you know, in those who were presenting with respiratory symptoms. But at this point, since people are presenting asymptomatic, you know, I'll have patients that are coming in for one thing. And then I asked them a couple of questions and it turned out, yeah, they've been having fever and some GI symptoms. So, you know, as a medical community, I think universally, all of us are, are attempting to wear N95 masks if we have them. Again, there is a global shortage. And so, you know, in my office, we get one mask per provider. And so I've been using the same mask the past two weeks, which is not ideal because in a, you know, an ideal situation, after you've interacted with the patient and their respiratory droplets are potentially on the outside, you want to be able to toss that. So um, my recommendation for the general public is to continue to follow whatever the guidelines of are the CDC and those will change. Please don't, um, you know, uh, hoard masks. Um, you know, that's, that's how we're running into situations where there is a shortage. You see people, I have, <laughs> I see people, patients who come in who have better masks than we do. And I'm just like, where did you get that from? You know, and they've spent $30 on some website buying something. And so at this point, it's our medical providers that we just really need to make sure have protective wear because we're the ones that are, you know, having to take care of people. And so we have to make sure that we're protected. Um, and so at this point, my recommendation is for medical providers that are, should be wearing masks, obviously, um, patients who have a diagnosis or who have any symptoms of respiratory illnesses, cough, um, shortness of breath, um, anything like that, they need to be wearing a mask. Um, and then again, as the CDC changes that we should all be wearing masks, then we'll follow those guidelines. Dr. Powell, thank you so much. Um, panelists, uh, there's been a lot of uh, questions uh, about how long the virus lasts on surfaces. And I've done some research uh, because, because my husband and I will have these conversations very frequently. How are we going to handle the mail? You know, what about when we bring the groceries in? What there could be virus on the orange juice container? And you could just kind of go nuts going down to, uh, you know, one level after another about potential you know, protection of bringing the virus on a surface into your household. The latest research that I found today is that basically we don't know how long the virus that causes COVID-19 survives on surfaces. It could be hours. It could be even up to several days. I'm just going to ask each of you to provide what you think is the best 
kind of common sense advice you can give our listeners on how we address, you know, cleaning our surfaces at home or cleaning our home environments, given the fact that we simply lack good information on what science would guide us to do. Dr. Harwell. Yes, so, you know, I cannot reiterate enough about hand washing. Like you said, we we literally will drive ourselves crazy if we try to go, oh my God, can I touch the mail? Or, okay, I I got the groceries out of the bag. Okay, now do I need to wipe down all of the cans because I don't know who, you know, I don't know who touched this can of corn, you know, before I did. And I mean, you literally can, you know, I think will almost drive yourself crazy. But at the end of the day, I cannot reiterate enough that hand washing is still going to be the key here. And again, you need to make sure that you are washing your hands correctly and for the correct amount of time. So you start by, you wet your hands with some clean running water. It could be either warm or cold. It doesn't matter. Then you turn off the tap and then you apply your soap, okay? And you need to be lathering your hands. You need to rub them together with the soap. You need to lather the back of your hands, between your fingers, under your nails, under your nails. And again, you're scrubbing your hands, like I said, for at least 20 seconds before you rinse. So hand washing, hand washing, hand washing, even if the virus is living on these surfaces. I think I read somewhere that it can live on cardboard for, you know, a day or so. I mean, again, I think you will just literally drive yourself crazy. But, you know, you can never wash your hands too much. So, you know, after handling, you know, if you feel like after handling the mail that, you know, hmm, you know, I'm a little nervous or concerned about that, then go wash your hands. After you take those groceries out the bag, go wash your hands. You know, if you get a package delivered to you in a cardboard box that's left on your porch now, pick it up, take it in the house, take the contents out, discard of the box, go wash your hands. And so, again, I think hand-washing is still going to be the one thing that we all can do. You know, everyone doesn't have gloves at home. You know, I know a lot of people are wearing gloves when they're handling different things. You know, everyone doesn't have gloves, but everyone has access to soap and water. So, for me, I think the key to this is good, good hand-washing. Dr. Powell, how can we best make our homes as virus-free as possible? Yeah, just echoing the same things. I did see that article by the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at various surfaces and how long um, the virus lasts on them. So it is, you know, it is something that can be scary if you think about, you know, you think about your food and how many people have touched your apple at the grocery store and how many hands have handled it. So again, I would just say be mindful of you know, washing your surfaces, you know, soap and water and disinfecting as well. Um, I make a regular habit of like washing my phone, um, just things that you don't really think about that you're constantly touching and you may wash your hands, but then you may touch something that you don't really wash. And so I guess just being mindful of the surfaces, being mindful of those things that you always touch. I know we've said before about touching your face. So being mindful of things that you may touch and then going and, you know, touching with your T-zone, so your mouth and your eyes and nose um, I make it a habit of, you know, as a physician seeing sick people, I come home and as soon as I'm in the door, my shoes are off in the garage, my clothes are off and, you know, they're in a dirty clothes basket right by the door. And then, you know, I'm in the shower and changing my clothes. So 
it's hard to know. You can go crazy, you know, like you can go crazy thinking about all the extra things that you need to be doing. But I think in general, washing your hands, being cognizant with things that you touch and making sure to wipe, wipe our surfaces. Dr. Watkins, any advice for our listeners? So the CDC has recommended that you should wipe down your surfaces. Um, their primary recommendation is spraying your surfaces, excuse me, instead of wiping them down. They say it sprays. For example, Lysol is really the best. So spray your surface. Uh, don't wipe it off once you sprayed it. Uh, let it air dry because um, air drying is the best. It um, leaves the residue from the spray um, and cleans the surface rather than you wiping it off. If you don't have any sprays, and they said you can use, for example, Clorox wipes, and I'm constantly spraying my door handles here at home um, and, and knobs as well and letting them air dry. They even recommend if you receive packages, you shouldn't touch them for 24 hours. And they said if you can, leave them out in the sun. I know there's probably some hard, hard to do in some urban areas to leave your package outdoors in the sun. But if you have to bring them inside, um, do not um, open them for 24 hours. And when you do, uh, wipe down the contents of the bag um, that the item that you purchase is in. And the same thing with food. If you have bought food from a restaurant, they say do not use any of the plastic utensils you've gotten from the restaurant. Don't use the foam or the aluminum that the food came in. Put it in your own um, plate or bowl. These are things we didn't think about before, but things we need to be obviously more cognizant of in, during this pandemic. And some of this stuff is, is just common sense um, and probably with things we should have been practicing before. Um, but now, since we are in the pandemic, we have more heightened fears um, and obviously um, more awareness of things we should have been doing before. Someone posted about how we used to make fun of and, and talk about Michael Jackson when he wore his mask and gloves. But what we need to be doing now is channeling our inner Michael Jackson and wearing our, our masks and gloves when we go out to stop the spread. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great soundbite. I want all our listeners uh, to appreciate it. And I know everyone does that we're all in this together. And while we see uh, certain communities being more impacted, uh, no one can self-isolate completely from this virus. I really see this as the call of our generation to recognize that we need to help everyone because until no one is sick, we are all at risk of becoming sick. I think that that's probably a, a good comment to close our podcast on. I want to thank our panelists and thank all our listeners. Uh, please, listeners, don't forget you can receive a link to our Safe and Strong Guide by texting 474747 with the word podcast is the message, and we'd be happy uh, to send you the link to the guide. Uh, next week, I will be interviewing a panel of frontline uh, surgeons, people, out there uh, dealing with this pandemic in uh, real life, uh, and I hope that you can join us uh, for that interesting uh, conversation. Until next time, everyone stay safe and strong. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.